the Agostin Hosinga show with your host Agostin Hosinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. <laughs> Welcome back to the Agostino Zynga Show with I, your host, Agostino Zynga, and I hope you are doing well wherever this podcast is finding you. I hope you are doing splendid. How am I? All good, all things considered. I cannot lie. All good, all things considered. I'm feeling the vibe. I'm nice and light. I just got back from the gym, showered, um, hydrated, just feeling absolutely fantastic i cannot lie one of the rare moments on a weekend where i get the pump in i do what needs to be done and i'm feeling good especially when you consider how ill i was yesterday last night i had a really hard time with hay fever man hay fever has been kicking my blood clot ass hay fever has been kicking my blood clot ass so it was pretty decent to have a good night's um rest and whatnot sleep relaxation and get myself all nice and ready to go so I can start doing the content and living my flipping life. You know the vibes. You know the absolute vibes. If you're tuning into this live and you're here, then, you know, I'm happy to meet you. Of course, if you're enjoying what you see along the way and you want to give me a little bit of loving, then make sure you smash that like button. If you're listening to this through the podcast app and you enjoy it at the end, leave me a five-star review, share it with your friends, all of that good stuff. You know how it is when you do all that unapologetic promo nonsense just to get your name out there. It kind of is what it is. So, today's a bit of a jam-packed show. Many things to kind of cover across the kind of gambit of stuff but the main sort of chunk that i'm going to obviously be deep diving into is the whole shit going on with ruigi villasenor um the founder of rude formerly of bali who's been caught up in some absolute madness when it comes to fraud um one of the co-founders or one of the investors in rude is suing him for 10 plus million um for basically embezzlement and um, for using the funds from the business to live a lavish lavish lifestyle of flipping richard millie's caviar expensive champagne private trips and shit on private jets and expensive bags it's a really amazing story to kind of check out and see so i'll be covering that later on in the pod but for now we're going to start with some random stuff here and there and get it going um big up everybody in the stream chat joining in i appreciate every single one of you as per usual i've got my little um what you call it, cold brew going today, I was a bit cheeky today, it's a Saturday, so I felt a bit naughty, so I did pour a little bit of a Yazoo into this, hence why it's a little bit brown, it looks like my skin tone, right, I'm a little bit chocolatey brown, aren't I, right, a bit chocolatey brown, so it kind of looks like my skin tone, so I poured a little bit of a cheeky Yazoo in there, big up Wings of Redemption, right, you fucking fat shit, wherever you are, Um, but yeah, that's about it, so let's roll into the flipping show, let's get right on into it, and kind of crack on for you lovely people. So, first topic that I wanted to quickly discuss. First topic that I wanted to quickly discuss, right? Um, I recently stumbled across a pretty decent 
flipping podcast that I really would like you to check out if you guys are interested in the type of stuff that I like when it comes to like dance music, when it comes to club culture, when it comes to techno tourism, or now it's now being referred to as techno pilgrims pilgrimage, right? When you go to these different places around the world to go and kind of you know um dunk yourself into the techno scene that they have over there i discovered this pretty cool little channel that's based out there in berlin it's called das techno team das das techno team on youtube and they do this podcast these two guys um what's their names i think it's like robin ben or something is it robin ben I think it's Robin Ben. Let me just double check. I'm pretty sure it's like a Robin Ben duo. But one of the guys is like a big uh, burly dude who you may have seen on, what's him called? You may have seen him on like TikTok because he's like well known for like, you know, dancing a particular way and just being really ripped and big and wearing like berets and shit and with his top off. So he's kind of well known in that kind of, you know, dancing scene, whatever it may be. And I guess from checking out the pod, he's also somebody that does that thing they do in Berlin, which we don't really do here. Um, where they, uh, what you call it, where they have prominent influencer type people from the techno scene do the door picking, which is kind of a cool thing, actually, right, to get people that are part of the scene, part of the community, to then be the people who are kind of filtering, um, you know, the people that are coming into the club and making sure that they're of the right, you know, they have the right vibe, they know what's going on, and they can connect with the people inside the space, blah, 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 so all that to be said, um, these two guys are called Robin Ben. Yep, I was right at the first time. And they make some really good points about, you know, club culture in general, more specifically concentrated over there in Berlin. Yes, um, Natasha Ski, we are live. Um, what you call it? Uh, what was I going to say? What was I going to say? What, what did you tell me? Natashki said he's really thrown the whole scheduling thing out of the window, hasn't he? Natashki, you've, you've, you're here you're here often enough. You should know me by now. There is no such thing as slipping schedules when it comes to Agostino Zinger. There's no shit as schedules. I just do what I do on the whim, off the cuff, you know, flying by the seat of my pants, making up as I go, go along. Schedule, structure. <laughs> what are these words? What are these words? Anyway, <laughs> um, pick up you, Tashki. Good to see you again. Um, going back to what I was talking about, right? So, yeah, these guys are amazing. They speak about the techno scene in Berlin. They have some really cool insights and really good, um, you know, opinions and kind of just talking points and stuff. So if you're interested in learning more about that scene on the ground level from two people that live there and are fully ingrained in that scene, then definitely check out That's Techno Team, right? But it was making me think a little bit about my times going there. Um, you know, I've been to Berlin a few times over the years. Um, obviously, you know, been to all the big clubs over there and whatnot and somewhat got myself um, acquainted with the scene from afar, even though I don't live there. So I don't really know what happens there on a day-to-day -day basis. It's a bit of a different experience vis-a-vis uh, -vis going there as a football techno program or going there and actually, you know, making your life there. So I understand that bit of it. But one thing that doesn't get spoken about enough, I feel like, when it comes to flipping Berlin scene out there is the treatment that you get when it comes to door picking. And it's something that those guys spoke about. And I think for myself, it's been something that has always kind of silently bothered me, but I never really spoke about it too often because I felt like, you know what, because I'm lucky enough to get into most of these places um, at the first attempt, um, you know, I think the only place that ever rejected me in Berlin might have been like Roses. It's this little um, cocktail bar type of place, a gay bar, I think, in like Kreuzberg. It's really amazing interior inside. It's all kind of covered in like 
red velvet plush type of fabric all over the place on the walls and the ceilings it's got all these weird little ornaments kind of hanging off of it it's a really fun little bar to go and chill out in and do a bit of pre-drinking or just kind of catch a vibe and that's the only place i legitimately got turned away from one day and i thought oh my god this is so annoying isn't it getting turned away to these kind of places because like they're essentially telling you you don't look gay enough which is incredibly insulting but anyway regardless um I, I usually get into most places. So I don't really have a problem um, when it comes to the door picking thing. But there have been some occasions where I've been out in Berlin and I've basically seen some people, especially black people, um, who are clearly somebody that you can see that, you know, they they get the vibe, they know the scene, but they're just not dressed the way that I usually dress when I go out or just, you know, the stuff that I'm kind of into wearing. They may be dressed in a more, you know, generic, casual way. And because they're dressed in a generic, casual way, queuing outside of Berghain, they don't get in, but I do. So it's always kind of rubbed me up the wrong way. And it's another thing that is kind of like a, you know, it's part of, the, it's, it's one of the things that people don't really speak about enough when it comes to queuing outside of Berlin. There's obviously that whole thing about, oh, people going there and thinking they need to dress a certain way to get in, fair enough. But there is sometimes a weird thing that happens if you're a black person queuing outside of clubs, especially in London. Um, usually, depending on the place that you're going to, if you don't come with girls or you don't come in a mixed group, it's very difficult for a group of like more than five black boys to just be let into a nightclub. There's always a little bit more uh, searching done on you, a little bit more questioning and quizzing, and it just makes you feel a bit shit. It kind of ruins your vibe and kind of takes you out of the moment. And sometimes it can happen a lot over there in Berlin, especially if I go there and I'm like I don't know wearing my do rag. I'm not wearing like what you des what you describe to be like you know typical techno clothes. I'm a bit more in quote unquote relaxed clothing or stuff that I'd wear day to day here in London. And then suddenly I turn into somebody that doesn't look like I should be in there, and which I was always hated because part of the reason of going to a club is like to express your individualism. But then you're going there and you're kind of prescribing to this weird kind of um, uniform that is like understood by everybody to look a certain way you kind of have to like caucasian yourself up whiten yourself up in a way and kind of dumb your dim your star in order to get let into these establishments which can be really 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 annoying and like i said i usually get into these places just because of the stuff that i'm kind of into and just because of what i'm kind of like and my vibe but sometimes when i'm there i can't help but feel um rage kind of you know building up in the bottom of my stomach when i see a fellow black person get turned away because they don't flip in you know look um trendy or they don't look hipster enough it's just like how dare you because they're not wearing Dr. Martins, because they don't have a fucking harness on or some fucking fishnet tights or whatever, suddenly they don't belong there. It's absolutely bullshit. But hey, it kind of is what it is. You deal with how you deal with it. I guess on the flip side, um, I have to be kind of thankful for all that kind of nonsense because, you know, the raving experience on a dance floor for the most part, with some exceptions, is pretty good, um, especially compared to London. And, you know, it has to be said, like, in all the time that I've been to Berlin and I've been going there since what like 2009 8 or something right something crazy like that um i've never seen one fight in that club in clubs in there and it doesn't matter if i've been to a fucking horrible place like matrix or i went to like the old grease Mueller. like i've never seen one one fight not one scuffle not one rg bargy zero so all of that you know um all of that flipping screening on the doors um you know, it can maybe kind of add to the overall vibe on the dance floor. But like I said, being a black person, sometimes it can feel a bit weird. 
when you feel like you have to kind of perform to get into these places, right? You kind of have to kind of act like your inner Caucasian self in order to kind of be permitted to go in these places, even though the flipping music is somewhat, you know, based within black culture. And here you are having to fucking, you know, dance for the fucking man. It's absolutely annoying. But anyway, all that to say, go and check out this YouTube channel. It's called Das Techno Team. It's absolutely amazing. These two guys really speak really eloquently about everything concerning dance music um, and club culture out there in Berlin and the wider world. Check it out if you haven't already. I've already checked out all four episodes and I absolutely loved it. So check it out. Check it out. Check it out. Anyway, moving on and going back to what I wanted to speak about. Um, some sad news about Boosie Badass and the developments are really concerning because it's looking like Boosie has to sit down for a while. This doesn't look like he's going to have a little light gun charge or something. This looks like they're kind of building up a really big case to kind of get him to sit down for a while. And I'm wondering, part of me is wondering, because Boosie was having a little, a lot of issues with the police in, I forgot what state he's from, but whatever state he's from in America, Boosie, he was having issues with police. They kept pulling him over all the time and he'd be going viral because he'd be going on live every time they pulled him over and kind of antagonizing um, the, the flipping police officers and getting them to, you know, because he kind of felt like he was being uh, targeted, right? Um, but I kind of feel like I'm wondering, I don't know if you guys agree, you guys are over there in America, do your American do American police hold grudges? Like if Boosie Badass is like trolling these police officers or they're stopping him, he's flexing money in front of them, telling them they're broke, calling them names as they're searching his car. Do you think they would have a grudge and hold it and like want to teach him a lesson? Because it feels like those police officers are now kind of like, you know, they've kind of got their get back on him for all the times that they've kind of he's kind of pissed them off or something. What we're saying in the chat, yeah, Natashki's saying yes they do. Because it seems a bit strange that now all this stuff is kind of getting piled on top of him, especially with the timing of him attending YMW Melly's court case and stuff and talking about wanting to be a lawyer and just generally kind of like, you know, um, flexing his muscles in some respects. Um, before I continue here, let me quickly continue what's the chat saying here. Uche says, I'm so used to being the only black person in a room, white people, uh, a room of white people, so it's like I'm looked at as a perma co-switch. Yeah, it's annoying, Uche. You know, you know it, man. You know it more than I do. You probably... Um, do it because I kind of tend to if I have a couple of bad experiences I just don't go out anymore and I get I get a little bit in my head and stuff but it's really annoying I'm not gonna lie and in Berlin it's even worse because in Berlin you go you go to places and you feel like you have to kind of whiten yourself to kind of get into places you can't be your authentic fucking negro self and then in some spaces you'll meet other black people there especially in Berlin and you get the vibe that they don't want to like chill with you because they want to be the only cool black person in the in the room or in the friendship group like it's super strange so you get this weird racism or judgment from people um you know from the whites over there in berlin and then you also get the weird um reversed judgment or racism from fucking black people there also because they want to be the only cool quirky black guy in their little social group so it's a very very strange place to be that's why I tend to just go on my own and just do my own thing and kind of vibe the way I want to vibe and, you know, enjoy the way I want to enjoy it. But it's hard to kind of connect to people out there because they're all kind of a bit, you know, whatever. Um, but hey, what can you do? Um, Tashki said, AZ, if you find yourself in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you would love house here of yes. I'm not even sure if it still exists, but it sums up your alley. Oh, it's right up your alley. Okay, cool. Big up, Natashki. I love that. Um, so yeah, anyway, Brucey Ballas is in big, 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 big trouble. The development now courtesy of Billboard says Boosie Badass gun charge came after cops spotted him on Instagram, tracked him with a helicopter. This sounds like cops that have grudges. 
Why are they watching him so closely and keeping an eye on him in this regard? Like, what has he done um, that kind of would rile them up this way? And me, my thinking is that there must be something in the fact that he was trolling these cops a lot when they pulled him over and now they wanted to kind of get him back and they have got him back in the most epic way possible. So, a uh, free Boosie, but Jesus, man, it's not looking good for him. So, the article says as follows. Rapper Boosie Badass' federal gun charge this week came after San Diego police officers tracked his Instagram account and even used a helicopter to locate him in an alleged gang-affiliated neighborhood, according to a newly unsealed court records obtained by Billboard. In criminal complaint, um, complaint sorry, unsealed by Judge Friday, um, June 16th, federal prosecutor said Boosie May 6th arrest was sparked by local police spotting a rapper, real name Torrance Hatch, in an Instagram video of a known gang member sporting a black handgun tucked in the back waistband of his pants. Fucking hell. So the feds randomly had a tag or had a wire or knew about this random hood guy in a random place that Boosie was there on Instagram Live with a gun in the back. Like... The coincidence is too much, man. Switching to Boosie's Instagram account, prosecutors say police used an airborne law enforcement unit to locate the rapper in an allegedly a gang-associated neighborhood of San Diego. After a traffic stop a short while later, they say Boosie was found with a black SUV with a matching black pistol in the vehicle. So the same day he was on fucking Instagram Live at this goon's fucking crib, barbecuing, hanging out, doing what he was doing, they spotted the black handgun in the back of his pants. He got in a car after he left and went back home. And on the way home, they pulled him over and found the same gun. They locked him up on the same day. God almighty. The newly answered documents reported first by Billboard detailed the timeline of events that led to this week's widely reported charges filed against Boosie by the federal prosecutors. The rapper was suddenly arrested on Wednesday at a Californian courthouse just minutes after appearance in which the charges from state prosecutors based on the May traffic stop were dismissed. Okay, sorry. So he got pulled over for that traffic stop. The charges get dismissed. Then he goes to court for that traffic stop gun charge. That gets dismissed. And then as he comes out, the feds swoop him. Imagine that. Going to court, thinking you've won, then stepping out and the feds look, and the feds grab you. Based on the but based on the same May arrest, federal prosecutors may now have charged Boosie with violating federal laws barring a previously convicted felon from possessing a firearm. The rapper was previously convicted on drug charges in Louisiana, Louisiana sorry, in 2011. Newly unsealed charges documents offer an ample new de details of the events led to Boosie's arrest in May. While in San Diego, police detectives were conducting intelligence gathering by monitoring Instagram accounts of known neighborhood Crick gang members. Um, prosecutors say the unidentified man was spotted filming a music video in what appeared to be a backyard or residence. When the video was tagged with Booty's handle, the detective switched to watching the rapper's Instagram account, which at the time was streaming live on a story at the location that prosecutors say was associated with a neighborhood Crip criminal street gang. So police are watching these guys' Instagram stories. They've got a fucking dartboard of like all the gang members. Okay, he's a blood, he's a neighborhood crip, he's this, he's a look, he's this, he's a hoover. And they've got them all there. They've got their handles. They've probably got a whole screen of their Instagrams. As soon as they go on live, it pops up. They're there making notes. Fucking hell. According to the complaint, uh, the information was then relayed to an airborne unit, which prosecutors say was able to locate Boosie and observe him getting into the black UFC, U SUV, sorry. So they track you on the Instagram stories, then they send a drone up in the air to then follow you as you're leaving because after you turned it off, basically. Yo, 
American police, American hip hop police are real. Police then followed and eventually pulled over that vehicle after the driver allegedly failed a stop at a red light. When the car stopped, Booty allegedly told officers that a security guard was in possession of a single gun. But both pistols were later discovered in the car, including one in the rear passenger seat. The prosecutors say it's the same weapon pictured in Hatch's rear waistband Instagram video. So what they're alleging, what they're alleging is that Boosie got back into the car with that gun, got pulled over and then tried to like slip the gun back, basically giving it to the clip, the security guard or just, just basically putting it away from his person. But because they were able to track him via the Instagram stories and obviously via the drone, they could see he had the gun on his position. So he couldn't say it's not mine. During processing, Hatch yelled at his security and asked why the security guard told the detective the gun was on the seat. Federal prosecutors wrote in a charging, oh my God, <laughs> Bruce, he was screaming at the security guard in the fucking, oh no, SPD, SDPD officers heard Hatch tell his security, you told me you were in, you, they were in the bag. The statement demonstrated Hatch's knowledge of the firearms. It's unclear why federal investigators chose to charge Boosie after the state-level case was dismissed. Under U.S. Department of Justice internal policies, prosecutors sometimes choose to avoid filing federal cases after earlier state law charges. A spokeswoman of the U.S. Attorney's Office in San Diego did not immediately reply. Boosie made initial appearance um, in a statement. Okay, cool. So, I'm just shocked, me personally, why these goons at this level when you're Boosie at this level, because you have to remember, like, I'm a big Boosie fan, so I'm aware that he essentially got away with murder a few years ago, right? Most people, if you're a fan of his, you know, you can you can believe that most likely he did it. Um, the rumors of him having a body or two may be true. So if you did get away with the murder, why are you still carrying guns as a flipping convicted felon? I'm sure at this point, I know it costs a lot of money to have armed security around you, but if you're moving outside and you're having to fucking make money for your family and look after yourself, you have to just have somebody else carry the gun for you because the consequences are too much. You have way too much to lose because now if he sits down for a while, all of his businesses, all the stuff that he's doing of his land and building properties, the stuff that he's got going, it's all going to go by the wayside. So he kind of does need right, to really, 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 really mind these P's and Q's, but this is looking like a real big issue, because you have to also imagine, Boosie's got a really long rap sheet, he's got many previous convictions, so this isn't looking good for the guy, man, he's probably going to be sitting down for a while, I'm anticipating maybe a 10 plus year stint, off the back of just, you know, nonsense, you're going to a video shoot of a neighborhood crip guy, who most likely you know, so you should be good, you, show, you shouldn't need to have a gun, really, because, you know, you're getting brought into a hood. They should be able to look after you. If they, if they can't look after you, take a security guard with you that's strapped. And then just, you know, go do it that way. I know it's hard to trust people because, you know, Boosie's been shot recently. Um, not recently, but maybe a couple of years ago. So maybe trust issues and shit. And maybe you think the only person who can look after you is you. But at this point, being a multi-millionaire rap dude, you can't be going around with a strap as a convicted felon. It makes no sense, in my opinion. It makes absolutely no sense. But again, what do I know in it? What do I bloody know? Free Boosie, same way. I still like the guy's music. And free Boosie, same way. Free, free Boosie. Moving on from this, and this is one of the reasons why I did attempt to stream earlier on Kick and YouTube. But my computer was going crazy and jittering all over the place because it just can't handle it. So next time I'll just do a couple of streams on kick, then I'll do one on here. But 
Um, this is big, big news, courtesy of New York Times. It says Twitch star signs a $100 million deal with rival platform. And if you're wondering, it's XQC. So XQC, one of the biggest streamers ever there on Twitch, has signed on for AtKick for a $100 million deal. The funny thing about it is that it's not even an exclusive contract. He signed a deal that's going to allow him to, to stream on fucking um, Twitch and fucking Kick at the same time. So this is definitely a big deal because, again, like I said, XQC is one of the biggest streamers on Twitch. So the fact that he's been able to take them, especially off the back of Twitch basically making some really weird policies that's pissed off loads of streamers. They don't have good splits. And just general, the politics around them and the fact that Rumble and Kick are kind of now blowing up, it's really showing that there's actual legitimate real competition out there back in the day there was like mixer there was like d live and a few other spots that people were streaming on that weren't you know that were great that maybe like you know they all had they had the whole you know free speech stuff angle going but they weren't the greatest platforms to use and many people weren't really flocking there to go and do their most of their streaming but now rumble's you know basically signing some big people kick is signing some big people and now the platforms are legitimately being rivals and challenging the dominance of twitch and maybe to some extent even youtube so it's kind of great to see and me being a fucking underrepresented minority I am <laughs> I am pleading with the higher ups at Kick, being an unrepresented minority, right? I'm a fucking refugee, right? Let's put me as a refugee. Refugee, immigrant, <laughs> black guy. I should also be getting one of these deals. I don't even need 100 million. I don't even need 100 million, honestly. I don't even need 100 million. I don't even need that. Just give me, you know, a couple of, a few grand a month. <laughs> Not even a couple. Give me a few grand a month and I'm fine. I don't even need a hundred million. Give me a few grand and I'm good. But anyway, the story is pretty crazy because this deal is insane because he's basically got a better deal than some fucking basketball players. Imagine that, right? So, yeah, Uche. AZ, the resident internet asylum sneaker. Exactly. Yes, asylum sneaker. I'm from a war-torn country. Angola is a war-torn country. Loads of civil war. My mom had to basically carry me on her back to this country. <laughs> I need to fucking, come on, man. Reparations, bro. Come on, reparations. <laughs> Immigrant mentality. Immigrant lives matter. Anyway, moving on. The article. One of Twitch's popular streamers said on Friday that he was joining a rival streaming platform, Kick, in a significant blow to the Amazon-owned site and a sign of the increasingly strained relationship between the content creators. Felix Lingliung, is that how you pronounce his name? Felix Lenglil. Lenglil. A Canadian known as online as XQC is signing a two-year, roughly 70 million contract with incentives that could push the total to 100 million, said his agent Ryan Mason, Ryan Morrison. Hey, yo, why is his agent telling New York Times about the figures? Is that because you want to maybe get more of a fee from your client? You want to boost your fucking reputation? Like, why is the agent that you know disclosing the fee that he got exactly <laughs> like to the fucking like me like why is he doing that that's so weird or maybe that's part of the promo or maybe kick tom to do that maybe kick want it to be known that they have money they send the agent out to kind of do their kind of work that's very bizarre because i'd be pissed off if i was xqc why are you do why are you telling people my business bro you're making me a target um Mr. Langley's deal um, is about as large as a two-year contract extension signed by Los Angeles Lakers LeBron James last year. Oh, my God. Could shake up the economics of the online entertainment world. Yo, 
the funny thing about it is that I'm pretty sure there are kids out there. I'm pretty sure there's kids out there who don't even watch sport anymore. Because I'm finding myself, um, even with my group of friends, I'm finding it very difficult to find people to go out and watch the football with. Even at the pub, it's very difficult to find people in my friendship group that actually still watch football now. They've all kind of lost interest. So if that's the case with my generation, I'm pretty sure the younger generation of kids just don't even bother watching sports. They catch clips here and there on Twitter, on social media, but most of their time or consumption of content is probably YouTube and streams. Can you imagine that? I bet there's some kids out there that don't, that don't even watch TV shows. I don't mean on TV, but like they don't even watch like series, like, I don't know, like Succession and shit. They're not watching any of that stuff. They just watch YouTube and Twitch stuff and stuff they see on fucking Instagram and TikTok. That's a weird generation to come up on. So maybe that $100 million deal makes a lot of sense because, you know, XQC is one of the biggest guys out there. Kids fucking love him and shit. So they, you know, he they consume all his content. Um, he, he streams, you know, a lot during the week, if I'm not mistaken, like sometimes six times a week or sometimes, like for like, you know, 10 plus hours or whatnot. So it does make a lot of sense why they're signing it for that much. Because if you look at it just on the surface level, it seems a lot. But when you analyze it a bit more, it's not that much really. If the kids are only watching him week in, week out. You know what I mean? So it's pretty, 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 pretty mad. Um, it continues. This is more than a this is more than the most successful professional athletes and megastar, says Mr. Morrison, his agent. This is one of the big highest deals in entertainment period. Mr. Langley, 27. Rice, 27. Why do I think he was younger than that? I'm surprised SQC is 27. I legitimately thought he was at 23. He's got that weird speech impediment thing that he does, isn't it? Where he's, like, like, where he's rushing. I don't know if that's a speech impediment or if that's an accent, like what he does, but it takes a while to get used to. It's actually hard to get used to. I don't really understand what he's fucking saying half of the time. Um, it's better when he's having an interview. He kind of slows down when he's speaking to other people. But when it's just him, it's just it's like, whoa, 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 buddy, buddy. But again, I can't say shit because he's got $100 million in his back pocket. So he's definitely winning. Um, Mr. XQC, 27, chats with his fans, hosts reality shows, and broadcasts himself playing video games. He has become a star in the live streaming world with nearly 12 million followers and the ability to attract tens of thousands of viewers at any given time by some metrics. He is the most popular Twitch streamer. Wow. I did not know that. I did not know that. Who did I assume was a Twitch streamer? I always assumed someone like a Pokemane was the biggest. I never knew it was good, would be a dude. I'm actually surprised, to be fair. It continues. Kickers allow me to try and do things I haven't been able to do before. I'm extremely excited to take this opportunity and maximize it into a new creative and fresh ideas over the coming years. Top live stream personalities can earn millions of dollars and attract communities of loyal viewers by broadcasting their content, but a number of them have left Twitch in recent years, attracted by the lucrative deals on other platforms like YouTube. And some streamers have complained that Twitch has become less responsive to its online community and more focused on profitability than keeping streamers happy. I'm actually surprised that like, what the fuck is going on with Twitch? I know they've got different politics and they're very left-leaning, but I'm really surprised of how much they've fumbled the fumbled, you know, fumbled the bag of fumbled the ball. Because for some reason, for the longest time, they really, really um, you know, were against giving particular streamers like exclusive deals. They didn't want to give anybody contracts or deals. Maybe because they felt like they had enough of a conveyor belt 
of up and coming streamers come, you know, on their site wanting to be affiliated, wanting to be partnered, that it didn't matter if a Kai saying that went somewhere else because you know you're gonna have another one coming up in a few years. But I think nowadays, with the competition at hand, there's no guarantee that that kid who's like 12 now and streaming to one person is gonna stay on Twitch. They might get drawn by kick now and seeing all the money and stuff and all the fucking hype and whatnot and start going on there. So they're kind of taking their position for granted. I feel like they are really being complacent and it's real shame because for the longest time, Twitch was the place to be if you went to live stream. Even YouTube only recently kind of fixed up the live streaming side of things. And even now, it's not maybe as great of an experience as it may be on Twitch for some people. Um, you know, it's not really a place for me, but I know some people prefer to watch live stream on Twitch. So it's weird that somehow Twitch has even allowed YouTube to catch up to them in some cases, which is really strange because for the longest time, they were so far ahead of them when it comes to live streaming. So if they really don't pay attention and make the necessary changes, Kick could eventually overtake them. For me personally, I would prefer to use Kick over like a Rumble because I feel like Kick at least has, you know, a decent um, looking UI or design. I feel like Rumble just looks too butters. Rumble looks too Republican for me. If that makes too much sense, it looks a little bit too right-wingy, right? Right-wing guys don't really have good, like, taste. They don't really have a good, like, art direction. It always looks a little bit janky. At least with Kick, it kind of looks a little bit cool. You know what I mean? It kind of similar to fucking, um, what's it called? Similar to Twitch and its appeal and its kind of sheen and whatnot. So I really do like what they're doing on there. Speaking of Kick, actually, make sure you follow me over there on Kick at kick.com forward slash Agostino. Tune in over there. I'll be doing some exclusive Kick-only streams on there. And hopefully, they'll recognize an unrepresented character like myself. They'll see a struggling young black male from a war-torn country, a refugee, an immigrant, legally blind, dyslexic, all that sort of stuff, right? Give me all of it, all the labels, right? They'll see me and they'll be like, you know what? Let's give this guy a deal. Let's give this guy a deal. That would be absolutely amazing. But for the time being, check me out on kick.com forward slash Agostino Zinger. All one word, kick.com forward slash Agostino Zinger for more streams of me on there. Hopefully, hopefully I can get my fucking, you know, one million dollar deal, right? <laughs> give me a one million. If, if I get a one million dollar deal, best believe, I'm going to be telling everybody in media that I got 10 grand. I'm not, I'm not fucking declaring that shit. Fuck off. I'm going to just lie and say I got a 10 grand deal. It's a 10 grand deal. I'm happy to provide for my family and buy myself a couple of Rick Owens jackets. You know the vibes. You know the vibes. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> what people are saying here. Um, people say I need to do gambling streams. That's not going to happen. I'm not really a gambling stream type of guy, to be fair. I don't actually gamble in real life, so a stream's not going to actually work for me. Um, but yeah, I understand what you mean, man. Exactly, yeah. Could never catch anyone rumble. Exactly. <laughs> Imagine I turn into a gambling guy. I'm just there doing slots and shit. Like, fuck! I'm doing slots. I'll start promoting those fucking... What's that game that everyone promotes as a, as a sponsor? What's that shitty game? Oh, man. It's like a mobile game. Maybe I'll start, I'll start doing that stuff. I'll start doing, join, use my code NordVPN. <laughs> use my code TAZ for 5% off a NordVPN. <laughs> open your stake, open your stake account. You know what I mean? You join me on my stake. Get, get, get a free stake account. Get £5 in your opening stake account. Yes, yeah, yeah, raid. There we go, raid. Is that a mega fan? Yeah. <laughs> 
I'll start promoting raid. It'll be absolutely hilarious, mate. Imagine I'll start promoting raid. I sell out fully. Fully, 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 fully sell out. I can't wait for that time. Honestly, can't wait. Anyway, moving on from that one. Let's talk about the main news that I want to kind of dig deep on because I feel like this story is absolutely fascinating in all manner of ways. So if you're not familiar with this story, just to give you a brief synopsis, um, the founder of Rude, a um, very, I won't say influential, but somewhat popular streetwear label, um, I think mostly based from Los Angeles, but the guy probably travels around the world. The founder from of Rude called Ruigi Villasenor is in a bit of trouble because one of the co-owners, co-founders, investors of Rude is now suing him for $10 million plus for essentially embezzlement. What he's alleging is that Ruigi was using um, the funds that was generated from the business and basically using those monies to pay himself an exorbitant salary or to just use those monies from the business to basically fund his lavish lifestyle of private jets, expensive Richard Milley watches, Lamborghinis, Porsches, Ferraris, um, expensive designer bags, all this crazy stuff that he was buying that, you know, essentially um, was maybe coming out of the flipping bank account of the company. And the other thing I think is also kind of bad about this story is that the other co-founder is alleging that he was always owed 20% of whatever, sales, earnings, whatever it may be called. And Ruigi was not giving him the 20%. And he was also doing a lot of hand-to-hand one-on-one private deals um whatever it may be called and he wasn't cutting that guy in in any of those deals either so there's a lot a lot of madness going on there so um the fashion law is the one that kind of broke this story and broke it down in real detail so let's go over this because i feel like this is absolutely crazy of a story so it says as follows um rude founder named in 10 million dollar lawsuit um fraud contract and trademark lawsuit it says as follows internal conflict at rude is spilling over on oh, what well, it doesn't let me zoom can i zoom on this oh it doesn't let you zoom okay cool let's not you can't let you zoom so let's continue it's an internal conflict at rude is spilling out into the open by way of a striking new lawsuit according to the complaint that's filed in the california federal court on june 12th on on his own behalf uh and on behalf of rude designs music agent and fashion entrepreneur george robertson claims that Rude Creative Fact Director and fellow co-owner Ruigi Villasenor and his personal company RMW Group is on the hook for a breach of contract, breach of fiduciary duty, fraud, conversion and trademark infringement and a minimum of $10 million in damage in connection to his activities at the busy Los Angeles-based streetwear label. Um, setting the stage in the newly filed lawsuit as first reported by TFL, Robertson asserts that in 2016, a year after Rube was founded, he and Villasenor, now 32, began collaborating on the creative direction of the brand, which quickly found widespread acclaim um, for its designs that balanced luxury with streetwear elements, including pieces that alluded to the Marlboro logo and its tracks tuxedo um, pants which combines track pants and styling with high-end finishes. Robertson claims that the, that the Truxedo pants, which he designed, brought Rude into the mainstream and drove the majority of the sales in 2018, in addition to Rude's basketball sneakers, sunglasses, hats, socks, and shorts. That's the really shocking part about it because, again, fashion, for whatever reason, streetwear, all this stuff, there's a lot of fucking push, a lot of emphasis placed on the kind of lone wolf on the lone soul genius that kind of is responsible for crafting and creating the brand on their own. But we know, we know, right? We know 
that most likely to become a really popular and successful fashion designer or anybody of any note, you require the help of a team. It's very rare that you do it all on your own. Even if you did design it, the shit on your own, you kind of need your team to ideate it, to flip it, manufacture it, sampling, production, whatever it may be called. You need a team to kind of put it together. But for the longest time, they were pushing Ruigi as a sole person responsible for all the genius stuff that was coming out of Rude, from the fucking Marlboro shirts to those um, Traxedo pants. All these stuff was kind of felt like it was coming all out of one single mind. But effectively, it was coming out of one of the co-owners, which is kind of crazy. The same co-owner who he essentially bumped. Kind of nuts. It continues. Um, let me actually zoom a little bit here. Let's see if it zooms. Yeah, there we go. Um, building the brand. In connection with his partnership to build out Rude, Robertson says that he invested 50000 in the brand in 2016 on the second year of operation, which is a lot of money back then when it's coming up. So it's fifty grand also that Ruigi didn't have. Think about that. Keep that in mind. So, giving rise to his ownership of a 20% stake in Rude Companies, as documented in a 2018 operating agreement. Meanwhile, Villasenor, who separately exited his role as Bally's creative director last month after a relatively brief tenure, owns the remaining 80% and the two parties shared managerial authority of the brand, according to Robertson. Which I didn't know. It's actually quite commendable that he's been able to survive this long with that brand rude because i felt like it kind of you know had kind of seen better days but somehow he retained majority ownership Ruigi, um didn't really require you know major investment and kept that shit chugging along to the point where he got appointed um you know as the creative director at fucking uh, bali for a brief stint but all of that came from the work that he did at flipping rude um but then also think about it why did he get why did he get let go from bali or why did he leave bali there might be something in this as well. It continues. Fast forward to 2019 and the party relationship began to sour. Villasenor sought greater control and hoped to diminish Robertson's role and eliminate his creative input. Robertson claims alleging that Villasenor improperly attempted to dilute interest and take steps to freeze him out of rude companies. This culminated in Villasenor eliminating Robertson's access to company files and expressing his attention to dilute Robertson's investment in rude back in 2021. So he blocked him out of the fucking servers. He locked, he changed the password on the Google Drives. He went full fucking crazy mode, locked him out of the Slack, took him out of the fucking group chat and basically let him know, hey, this is my company now. Absolutely crazy. And the really sad thing about it, if you Google their names, you can see many pictures of them together. Like they were close at one point. Clearly he played a big role in the founding of, of Rude. I guess if you're really... If you had your ears to the ground, you would have known. But I kind of known of Rude um, from afar. Um, I spoke to Ruigi once many, many, many years ago when I went to get him involved at the um, Virgil Abloh Streetwear course I helped to flip in, put together. Um, he wasn't really, you know, open to doing it at the time. I think he kind of felt he was above it, which is hilarious. Um, but he kind of was maybe at the time. Who knows? But um, I didn't really know that there was a co-founder. I ultimately did think it was just him that did rude on his own similar to like you know jay lorenzo at fear of god he kind of sat around one day and thought oh i want to make my own type of saint Laurent, you know rick owens type of clothes let me do it myself and kind of just started making clothes that's why i kind of assumed there's a picture here as well with him with lucas Sabat as well back in the day also so that's a sad thing like they were actually calling close so it's not like he's bumping or scamming a new investor that's trying to take control of his brand this is somebody that basically got it from the mud with him you know what i mean 
that's a sad thing about it because if this was like an investor that came along now during the good times and wants to take too much control fair enough but this is a guy that got it from the mud with him and he's fucking doing him dirty like this is not the greatest to be fair it continues um in the meantime, Robinson says that Villasenor has engaged in a scheme to illicitly divert hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in revenue from rude companies into his personal limited liability company. So at least he's smart. At least he's not taking the money from the company and putting it on his own bank account. He's taking that money and putting it into his own LLC. <laughs> Honestly, the scamming is crazy, man. Call him Rurigi the scammer. Rurigi the fucking scammer. Absolutely mad. Robertson claims, um, noting that as a result, RD's revenue figures on the tax returns do not come close to matching Villasenor's public statements. For instance, Robertson claims that Villasenor publicly stated that Rude's revenue in 2020 was 30 million. Whoa! And in 2021 was over 30 million. RD's tax returns reflect revenue of 10 million in 2020 and 18 million in 2021. That's a big, big, big difference. Holy shit. Yo, I didn't know these guys were making this much money from fucking selling cigarette shirts. So maybe legitimately, if he wasn't actually scamming, he could actually afford the lifestyle he was pushing out on Instagram. Because I, for the longest time, thought um, Ruigi's Instagram account was too bait. He was doing way too much on Instagram, right? Like private jets, ex luxury cars, expensive fucking wine, caviar, luxury bags, you know, all the bougie hotels and stuff. I thought the Instagram was too much, right? He was kind of flossing too much. But actually, what that kind of article claims is that that company or Rue, the brand, was making a lot of good, a lot of money anyway. So legitimately, they could have fucking, um, he could have actually funded that lifestyle you know easily if need be but jesus christ mate i didn't know that okay let's go back to the article this vast dis discrepancy is partly explained by villasenor's diversion of rude's revenue directly into his own pockets to fund his lifestyle including private jets ferraris and lamborghinis and a home in the hollywood hills extended stays in italian villas and a watch collection that includes several watches worth a hundred thousand yeah he's got Richard Millies, right? This is some guy actually posted on Twitter. Big up this guy, um, Jalen. He says, shout out to Rugi for spending them people's money the right way. Just look at the amount of caviar in a damn bowl. The vintage wine is easily 2000 a bottle. Um, look at this. R Richard Millie. Like, imagine being a brand owner of a streetwear brand and fucking be able to afford Richard Millie watches like some rapper or some shit. Caviar on trips and stuff. Like, what the fucking fuck? Like, and this is the, the thing. This is similar to like when, if you have a friend, look, he's, he's lying down on a private jet with a massive fucking Birkin bag and a bottle of Ace of Spades in his hand. The funny thing about this is like, um, this is similar to like when you give, give a friend some money and they owe you money, but then you're seeing them out and about on Instagram stories or they come out with you and start spending loads of money at the bar, but they don't want to pay you back. This is essentially what that guy is facing, right? That Robinson dude. Imagine being the other guy that owns the 20%. You're already getting him trying to ice you out of the company. He owes you loads of fucking money. But then you're seeing him flying all over the world, staying in these expensive places, buying all this expensive wine, private jets, Birkins, Ace of Spades, cigars, caviar. I would be mad, man. I would be furious. I would be furious. Absolutely furious. So anyway, it continues. 
At the same time, Robertson asserts that Villasenor has abused um, his position of power by causing RD to spend lavishly and irresponsibly on advertising. For example, Robertson states that, oh, sorry, he was claiming that that shit is advertising. Holy shit, Rurigi is a savage. You know what? To be fair to the guy, to be fair, that is kind of true. Because Rude's image is all based on that kind of like Hollywood Hills, Italian villas you know retro you know cars rolls royces old bmws mercedes benzes and shit g-wagons like it's kind of based on that kind of idea it's a very strange area or niche of streetwear but it's like this kind of like rich lavish because i feel like the person that kind of spearheaded that kind of scene of like streetwear is i feel like nick terche from diamond 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 and co supply he was the first type of streetwear dude I remember the brand that would go out and buy a Ferrari, right? Him and like him and Ben Buller, right? They'd be wearing like big chains, driving Ferraris and stuff, living in mansions. Like that was the first time I saw it. For the most part, you know, everybody else that I remember growing up idolizing in streetwear kind of kept their shit humble. Obviously, with the exception of Nigo. Nigo went fucking crazy back in the day. So did Pharrell. But for the most part, everyone kind of kept it humble, didn't really show off their house, acted like they weren't really rich when they were. But these guys are going nuts, bruv. They they went crazy, and now it's basically biting them in the ass. Um, and but to, but to call it advertising is kind of true. I kind of see where he's coming from because this is basically advertising in a weird way. It is kind of you know adding to the allure of the brand because if you buy Rude, you basically want to have yourself aligned to what they're doing here, right? It's kind of similar to like um we have a similar brand. What's a brand called? Like Cole Buxton and Represent. Those dudes from the uk they also kind of live a similar sort of lifestyle they're driving porsches they're going on lavish holidays and shit um when you buy those brands you're kind of buying the brand to kind of signal that you also want to live that lifestyle so it's a little bit weird but anyway we move going back to this article at the same time robertson asserts that villasenor had abused his position of power um and obviously called it advertising for example robertson states that in 2020 when rd's tax returns reflected revenue of 10 million they reflected advertising expenditure <laughs> of 2.7 million that is to say villasenor caused rd to spend roughly 27 percent of his revenue on advertising which meant richard millies which meant birkins wow um, in 2021, when RD returns reflected an income of 18 million, they reflected advertising expenditures of 5.4 million, i.e., 30% of the revenue. While rude companies do spend to advertise the brand, Roberts alleged that these advertising expenses are bloated to make up Villasenor's practice of charging his personal expenses to RD. For a point of reference, Robertson states that in the fashion industry, advertising spend is typically 5%. <laughs> and this guy was hitting it with 27 and 30. But the 27 and 30, he was hitting it of advertising was this. That was advertising. This. That's his advertising. A fucking massive family size, you know, Olsen size fucking Birkin absolutely crazy guy man it continues to make matters worse robertson alleges or argues that villasenor even began infringing upon and diluting the rude company's trademarks including by personally entering into collaborations such as the one with zara oh wow that's true if you go on his instagram account that is true i never actually figured it out the zara collaboration is like him it's not through rude. Oh my god! 
Rick is a fucking top level scammer. So the scam, the collab he's doing with Zara isn't even done through Rude. It's done actually through his own name. So technically, he just pockets all that money and doesn't give that guy the 20%. (laughs) So he double dips and he pays himself a crazy salary at the company. He charges expenses, his own expenses to the company. He, he, He buys watches and claims it as advertising. And then he gets a fee from Zara to consult collaborate make a capsule collection and he takes that whole entire fee and he takes it to himself <laughs> all these chips mine absolutely wild guy Rurigi, you are wild bro oh my god what did they what did that guy do to him that he wouldn't want to give him because that's what i don't understand the the brand gets founded in 2005 2015 um, it's going well after the first year. It's already got a bit of steam behind it. Some guy comes along, similar age, similar scene, who has 50 grand to spare and invest it into your brand to basically allow you to kind of go to the next level. That then allows you to have like a 10 plus year run of basically working for yourself, being able to then go and get a job at fucking Bali, working for a luxury fashion house and shit. Amazing. All your dreams come true. What did he do to you to not deserve getting the money that he's owed to him? Like, what happened, man? That guy was there at the beginning, in the mud, on the ground level. And then he just fucking scammed him, like, all the way through. Fuck. Um, anyway, it continues. Um, so, yeah, let's go back to the article. To make matters worse, Robinson argues um, that Villasenor even began infringing upon and diluting Root's company's trademarks, including by personally entering into collaboration, such as one with Zara, in connection in which he designed clothes em- emblazoned with the letters RHU. Not only was RHU branding originally developed by RD for Rude Brand, but Villasenor is also improperly personally capitalized on the RHU, trademark and goodwill, which is registered and owned by Rude Companies by way of Zara Ruigi collaboration. <laughs> These use of Ruigi Companies' own trademarks as part of a larger unlawful scheme by Villasenor to misappropriate and dilute the marks for his own personal benefit, Rude a Robertson contends. And obviously that's some of the collection that he designed there for Zara. Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. It's a Ruigi and Zara. It's not a Rude and Zara. Bloody hell, this guy, man. Finally, when Villasenor's misconduct, including his alleged misappropriation of company funds and other assets, including Rude trademarks for his own personal benefit, became apparent early this year, Robertson claims that Villasenor, that he sent Villasenor and Rude companies a demand letter seeking, among other things, the company's financial statements. Oh, so he asked them to open the books. The books, records, and tax filings given that Robertson's lost access to the company files back in 2021, despite maintaining his ownership stake in the brand. Robertson states that he received RD's tax returns, balance sheets, and statements of profits and losses for 2017 to, from 2017 to through 2021. I bet you Ruigi just sent it over in some like handwritten tax returns, <laughs> printouts, like some random documents. But at the time of the filing this lawsuit, Villasenor still has not proceeded, produced, sorry, all the requested information, including the books of the account and Rude Company's businesses, RD's financials for 2022, any information related to Rude Holdings or any information related to Rude Revenue that was improperly diverted from Rude Companies to RMW or Villasenor. Um, because of Villasenor's repeated breaches and misappropriation and misconduct, and in light of the failed attempts to resolve this matter out of court, Villasenor allegedly offered to pay Robertson $5 million for his share back in 2021. <laughs> 
Nah, don't have that. I wouldn't take that. He's already scammed you for like eight plus years. He's double dipping in the company. He's charging. He's using the company car to buy himself fucking watches. Then he gets into collaboration with Zara. He he does it under his own name, not under Rude. Or doesn't even cut you a little, you know, a little piece. Breaks you off a little bread just as like a thank you. Even if he does it on his own, fair. But just a little bread, just as like a mark of respect because he, you got to where you got because of that guy. And then he wants to offer you five million for your share. Nah, nah, nah. The funny thing is that five million is probably the five million he took from the company. <laughs> Oh, absolutely crazy. Um, the negotiations faltered. Robertson says that he was left with little to no choice but to file the lawsuit on behalf of himself and rude companies. Um, he, in furtherance of his suit, Robertson accuses Villasenor of violating the Californian Corporations Code, which gives company members and managers the right to inspect company books and records and tax returns by failing to produce the requested documents. This sounds a lot like what happened on the Joe Budden podcast, Rory or more. Joe Budden's really lucky that Rory and Moore didn't try and sue him and really try and open up the books because I think they would have revealed some dodgy stuff as well because you know Joe Budden loves a strip club I wouldn't surprise me if Joe Budden fucking you know uh files his, his strip club fucking escapades as a company expense and stuff and puts that down as advertising <laughs> you know what I mean so Joe Budden better thank his lucky stars that Rory and Moore didn't do what this guy is doing to fucking Ruigi Fucking hell. Robertson also accuses Villasenor of breach of contract as the Rude Company's operations agreement that they are parties to similarly include a duty of produce to Rude Company's books and records of tax returns upon request. Beyond that, he claims that Villasenor further breached his contract by failing to observe the payment terms in the parties' agreements. For instance, while Ardi's income nearly doubled between 2020 to 2021, Robertson's share of the partnership income actually decreased. Ah, oh, come on, Ruigi, man. If you're going to steal, steal from your half. You don't have to take it from the, your partner's half as well. That is horrible. That is horrible. Double dip, taking way more of the cut from the fucking revenue or the sales and then also taking a cut out of that, that guy's cut. Like, come on, man. So, Robertson's share of the partnership actually decreased from 322000 to 269000 <laughs> At one point, Robertson says that Villasenor publicly touted that the company's annual revenues were greater than $30 million. Mama mia. And yet it made distribution, distributions to him um, that of just 41 No, hold on, what? At one point, Robertson says that Villasenor publicly touted that the company's annual revenues were greater than 30 million, and yet it made distributions to him of just 41,000 per year. No way. Oh my God. Oh my God. The company's generating 30 million <laughs> in a year in revenue. And you're only getting paid 41 grand a year. <laughs> Holy shit. This guy is a scammer of epic proportions. You know what this also proves, by the way? I guess the stream chat would know this, guys, right? You guys would know. This also proves that when you scam, you scam. I think it's like similar to like abusers and stuff, right? There's no such abuser that just does it like once or twice. You do it in all different ways. And I think it's the same with scamming. If you're scamming from somebody, you're not just going to scam like, I'm going to take a little bit of the top. 
you're going to take a little bit of the top, a little bit from there, a little bit from there, a little bit from there. So usually when you find out someone's scamming, there's usually a whole trail of fucking scams that they've been running for a long, long time. So in my opinion, it wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me if maybe, allegedly, maybe, the reason why Ruigi Villasenor got let go from Bali after just like one season might be on, maybe I think it was two seasons, I don't know which one did, I think maybe two or one, but it was a very short time, maybe basically a year. It wouldn't surprise me if he got let go from Bali because he tried to do the same scam over there. Maybe he tried to use a company card at Bali to basically to try and buy a fucking Porsche or something. And they were like, hey, hey, not here, not here, not here. And they got him the fuck out of here. Maybe. Or maybe Bally had um, knowledge of this fucking lawsuit and they didn't want any of the bad press and they let go of him quickly because they knew it was going to come to light. Maybe. But I've got a feeling if this guy's been scamming for this long and he's got a history of scamming, uh, if you check the Twitter, people have been you know, sharing stories of he's come up and stuff and allegedly he's been finessing his whole way through and he kind of made it and shit. He's been doing a whole fake it to you, make it shit and whatnot. If that's the case, then it wouldn't be far off to expect him to be the kind of guy that went and fucking scammed Bally. Like, imagine getting a job <laughs> at Luxury Fashion House, right? Amazing, right? One of the first Filipino people to do it from streetwear, humble beginnings, no formal training, amazing story, you're super young. And instead of just focusing on the work and creating a legacy through that work and being an inspiration through that work, you're thinking of scams to run. <laughs> oh my god, this guy's a fucking psycho. Anyway, continues. Just imagine, imagine you you own twenty percent of a company, and you're getting forty one grand per year. For, you earn twenty percent of a company that has revenue of thirty million, yet you're getting forty one thousand per year. Honestly, I could catch a murder charge for shit like that. I could legitimately catch a murder charge for shit like that. I swear to God. I've had times where I've been working in place, especially startups, where one startup I worked at specifically, we didn't get paid for like three months, right? And and then we were meant to get paid at Christmas and we didn't get paid at Christmas and then the company went bankrupt in December. So we were owed three months of, of, of pay we were meant to get paid it on December as a kind of like thank you and a present for Christmas, which is not really a present, it's what we fucking owed. We don't get paid in Christmas, so it's now four months, and then the company goes bankrupt. I legitimately did some really embarrassing and shameful things to get my money at the time. And we did eventually get it a year later, but I did some crazy shit. I'm not going to say what I did, but I did some fucking crazy shit. And it wasn't that much money, right? I wasn't fucking making what these guys were making. But I did some crazy shit to get my money. So I can't imagine what I would do if I helped a guy start a brand. I invested 50000 of my own money a year after he founded it. Designed one of the most popular items for that brand. And then didn't see a lick of money that I was owed for the best part of 10 plus years. Whew. I don't know what I'll do. 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 <laughs> No, I don't, I don't know, honestly. No, I can't I can't say Natashki. I can't say. I can't say. The statute of limitations is not up on that one. I can't say. <laughs> but I did some stuff. Trust me. 
<laughs> Yo, anyway, let's continue. Um, not done. Robertson sets out his claims. One breach of fiduciary duty. Uh, alleging the, the, sorry, that Villasenor knowingly acted against the interests of the rude companies and Robertson by diverting company resources and opportunities of himself and connection of various collaborations and by diverting rude companies' income to himself instead of the company. Two, conversion. Villasenor and RMW's conversion also constitutes fraud, embezzlement, and misappropriation. Those are big, big, big accusations. Fraud, embezzlement, and misappropriation of funds. Yeah, that's like the that's like the fucking trifecta of scamming. <laughs> Big up, Ruigi. Um, and three violations of Section Four Nine Six of California Penal Code for substantially interfering with Robertson's property by knowingly or intentionally taking possession of and preventing Robertson from access to share the company's available cash. Lastly, Robertson sets out a handful of trademark claims in his lawsuit, um, including trademark infringement and dilution, and arguing that Villasenor has made use of Rude's trademarks without authorization from Rude's companies. In terms of dilution, Robertson claims that by way of collaborations of Zara, for example, Ruigi Villasenor is making business use in commerce of trademarks that dilutes and is likely to dilute the defectiveness of Rude's companies. Uh, by eroding the public's exclusive identification sorry, of Rude with the Rude companies, tarnishing and degrading the positive association and prestigious connotations of this mark and otherwise lessening the capacity of Rude companies. As a side note, despite the allegedly sizable amount of advertising by Rude, media attention to the brand and the wide array of famous folks from Jay-Z to Justin Bieber, yeah, allegedly Jay-Z is meant to be an investor. I think he's part of Rock Nation. He's always hanging around with them and he has that fucking dorky um, paper plane hat sometimes. So I don't know what's happening there. Wearing his design, Rude and his marks do not seem to me to rise to a requisite level of fame, successfully wage a dilution claim. With the, for with the foregoing in mind, Robertson is seeking damages in the amount of to be determined at a trial, but in any event, a minimum of 10 million as well as restitution or disorgument of the extent of Villasenor and RMW's unjust enrichment of other ill-gotten gains and among other things. Yo, 10 million minimum he's, he's fucking fighting for. And I think he's going to get it. I think he's going to get it, man. Rurigi does was doing too much on the, was on the gram, was doing way too much on fucking social media, as we've already seen in terms of living a lavish lifestyle. And just regardless of all this lavish lifestyle stuff, I think on paper, it sounds like he was really fucking the guy over. And the thing that I'm saying that's really sad about this is that at the beginning of the story, it already tells you that this guy invested 50,000 of his own money in 2016 to help launch the brand or to help kind of propel the brand forward. A year after it was founded. It's founded in 2015. He invested in 2016. So he's, he was there a year after it's a founding and took it to the next level with him. So much so that they were hanging around each other. They were clearly friends, had good vibes, and he couldn't do right by him. So, you know, I think on paper, it looks like he's going to get the money and maybe and some. Maybe they might settle out of court. I'm not really too sure. But there's also a possibility. I'm, I don't know if this might be true, but it feels like there might be a possibility where they might even take the brand off him. If he doesn't have the money to pay for the, for the you know, whatever he's owed, like imagine, yeah, I could, could that happen? Maybe that could happen. Where they take ownership of the brand to kind of give him back the money that he's kind of owed. That might be a thing. But one of the weird things is, Rubigi is really not really pressed. He posted recently on Instagram, this post, which is fucking hilarious with this weird caption. Um, 
because everyone's talking about it. He posted a post of his um, flyer for his presentation for Rude out there in Paris Fashion Week for men's. And the caption says, come to my show if you've got something to say. <laughs> this is a bit lame. And in my opinion, this is not tough. Like you can't try acting like a tough guy, like some mob mafioso dude. Because in my opinion, there's nothing more pussy than scamming. There's nothing more pussy, especially than scamming your friends. Like you're not doing it to his face. You're doing it, you know, behind his back. You're doing it in a sneaky way. You're trying to act fucking clever and do all these fucking scams and run all these fucking games. And, you know, and then you're trying to then act tough by saying the things that he's saying on Instagram, by saying, come and say hi. Now, he could be speaking to the guy or he could be speaking to people like me, just commentators online, which is weird too, because this, is, this isn't this is our business. This doesn't directly affect us. Why would we want to press you about this issue? It's lame as fuck. It's not going to help you with how you're perceived and looked at in the industry. It's going to make people, you know, avoid you with a 10-foot barge pole because essentially you are flipping Ruigi the scammer. But it's not something that we need to cuck in bare arms of and start, you know, walking around in front of the shop with placards trying to cause a ruckus. If actually, that would be actually a good way to kind of troll and get some attention right and shit posts to stand out front of his outside of his showroom um or whatever the place that he's doing his collection um and then just with placards you know what i mean with uh, <laughs> Rigi the scammer um fucking you know um signs up and stuff that'd actually be a good little flipping you know prank to kind of run but no one's kind of caring that way but i just don't like this whole like you know tough guy talk stuff because like i said i think there's nothing more pussy than scamming somebody. Um, you're not doing it to their face. You're doing it behind closed. You're doing, you know, away from prying eyes. Um, and especially in this case, you're doing it to somebody who legitimately helped you out in the beginning when you didn't have the funds to kind of take your brand to the next level. Um, and according to the fucking um, article, he was actually responsible for one of the most popular items that fucking Rude actually did. That horrible truxedo fucking pant that I think is absolutely horrendous personally for me. I never really liked them. If anything, I think they were a copy on some Saint Laurent pant that Hades Lemaine might have designed back in the day. Because no fear of God had a particular pant as well that was a similar type of style. There was a period of time, maybe around 2018, when everyone was fucking wearing these pants. I fucking hated them personally. Um, there's, yeah, there's even a picture here of ASAP Rocky with a pair, right? For some reason, I don't know why these were so popular, but I absolutely hated these, how they looked. Um, guys in LA absolutely swore by these fucking pants, wearing them with Vans and Jordans and fucking shit. Um, but they absolutely look horrible to me. If anything, they kind of look like, you know, upmarket pajamas, um, you know, in a weird way, or kind of, they kind of they kind of remind me a little bit of like Nike tech pants, the ones that people wear to play football in and shit but kind of made like as a designer way. But yeah, they were really popular. So that guy designed these pants that were really popular, that kind of took, you know, Rue to the next level. Um, and then, of course, they were also known for that, what's that, that cigarette shirt, right? Um, I don't know who designed that. I don't think he's taking credit for that one. But this cigarette shirt was also one of the fucking ones that everybody was wearing for a period of time. The LA guys love this too, this cigarette shirt. Oh yeah, oh look, see? Look at it. Look at all the celebrities wearing that. That, 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 that fucking... Marlboro light spin shirt. I don't know why this was so popular. I really don't know why it captured people's imagination, but this fucking shit has been faked and copied so much. That's a sign of real success. It's absolutely crazy how fucking successful this fucking shitty shirt was. But yeah, um, they made a bunch of money, did really well, and then he fucking scammed his friends. So more, more than likely, I'm expecting that the case will probably land in the favor of the guy that's, you know, suing him. Um, it's looking likely because, you know, Ruigi was just doing way too much 
when it comes to the scamming and shit. Look, he's got articles written about him in the fucking Los Angeles Times. It's absolutely nuts. And like I said, his Instagram was just too much when it comes to the stuff that he was kind of, you know, um, showcasing on there. But if you actually check the guy's Instagram also, who's suing him, you can see he's also plugged into the scene. You know, the stuff that he's got. He's got his own brand that he does also, which is called this. What's it called? Uh, I've got it here. Not, yeah, it's called Think Different. You can also, there, you've got stuff that he does on there. Um, but yeah, the guy that's selected with him is definitely plugged in. Got all the usual stuff you expect from somebody that is a co-owner and co-founder of fucking Rude. So eager to see how this plays out. He's got a picture here with Andre 3000. He's got some good ricks there that he got resold that look really cool. Yeah, so clearly somebody that you would assume would be a part of that sort of brand. So yeah, he's he's, he's going to come into a real good payday um, very, very soon. So big up to him. Hopefully that kind of works out for him. But what an absolutely crazy story, man. Again, it's proof proof that not all that glitters is fucking gold man sometimes you sit there thinking that these people are doing something right they've smashed it they've achieved it you may be a bit envious a bit jealous you want to be them but actually what they're doing is fucking scamming and swindling their friends who they've kind of co-owned or started the brand with that's actually why it's allowing them to have the lifestyle that they're living in your head you're thinking it's fucking you know all through the hard work that they're doing and the designs that they're making but actually behind the scenes they're doing some crazy shit and like i said it's no coincidence that he got fired or let go from Bali when he did get fired from Bali most likely he got fired from Bali because of the scams he was running and the stuff that he was doing so either they knew about it and it was coming up and something that they want they wanted to avoid all the bad PR or there is a possibility that he was also trying to run that scam you know um there at Bali as well which is absolutely crazy but it does make a lot of sense because when you scam once you're going to scam all the time so it makes a lot of sense in that regard so anyway um let's see how it plays out eager to see what happens development wise and whatnot but that is the story of Ruigi flipping scamming 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 Anyways, that has been it of the Agostino Zynga Show, episode number 658. Thank you for tuning in, my family and my friends. Whoever of you are still here, I appreciate you so much if you're still here on the live stream. For those of you that are going to be tuning in later on, watch, listen to it via the podcast app, I appreciate you also. Um, if you're tuning in here via the live stream, please make sure that you like the stream. That would be greatly appreciated. If you're listening to this via the, via the podcast app, just leave me a five-star review and share. Only those two things, not much to ask in that regard. Um, that would be greatly appreciated as well. And yeah, man, appreciate you all as per usual. And I'll see you all again very soon. If you listen to the podcast app, you'll hear my tune today. If you're watching this via live stream, we're just going to fade to black. And I'll see all of you guys again very, very soon. Big up all of you. Appreciate you. And I hope, hope to see you guys again very soon. Take care. Be safe, everybody. To explain how you look, girl, I think you're so Like a monster. Girl, what's your name and
Baby, don't you? 